Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. If uh, we've never met, my name's Aaron, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Hope South End. And uh, now's the time uh, in our worship service when we're going to turn our attention to God's Word and study it together. And uh, I'm really excited because today we're actually starting a brand new sermon series looking at the life of Moses, one of the major figures of the Old Testament scriptures. And I'll give you more context as we get into the sermon itself. But where we're going to start this journey today is the passage that's printed in your bulletin. If you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at a passage in Exodus chapter 2. So this is the birth of Moses and kind of beginning of his story. So it's Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. And uh, so you can follow along there. I'm going to read it for us and pray before we dive in and begin to look at uh, the life of Moses together. So uh, hear now God's word from Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his, his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the child went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, We thank you that what we just sung about together is true, that you are the Lord of salvation Lord, thank you that you're not a God who um, calls us to figure out how to save ourselves. You don't send us instructions and tell us how to do that, but you are the God of salvation. You are the one who saves us by your free grace and mercy alone. And Lord, you invite us into uh, a relationship with yourself, Lord, the relationship we were made for. And I pray this morning that um, wherever we are um, on our journey, Um, Whether we are uh, rejoicing today or whether we are weeping today or whether we're somewhere in between, that uh, you would meet us where we are. Um, 
by your spirit, would you uh, minister this passage to us? Would you awaken our hearts and uh, our minds so that we can uh, understand what you have for us today and how it applies to us uh, personally, where we are? And so we pray that you'd bless this time now. Um, We thank you, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, in general, I'm not normally someone who's uh, convinced to buy things through commercials. Um, I'm, not, I'm a pretty conservative spender, so that's not normally me. Um, but I will admit that a few years ago, they got me. Um, this was probably 2015 or 16 range, and it felt like during this time, like every time I watched TV, I saw a commercial for Ancestry DNA. If you guys remember this, it's the company that you can, they take your DNA, test it, and help you kind of see um, who your ancestors are and learn more about them. And every time I would see these commercials, I was so intrigued. I would like say out loud, like, man, that looks so cool. I'd love to do that. And uh, I was so excited because even though we talked about our family history growing up and I, I heard a lot of stories, it was more like our contemporary family. And so I didn't really know like where we came from and, and where, what our specific ancestry was. And it felt like Sarah and all my other friends knew and could talk about it together. And I always felt left out of these conversations. So it was always like, I was really into it when I was seeing these commercials. And so Sarah that year picked up on my passion for it and ended up getting it for me for Christmas. And I was fired up. Um, I got it, I sent it off and it came back. And I'll be honest, the results weren't that interesting. Um, I was like 90% English and Scottish. I'm not really sure what I was expecting. Um, But I was still really glad that now I knew, that now I knew about my ancestry, and I felt like now I could orient my little story a little bit better into the bigger story of my family history. And now I bring that up because today, as I said, we're starting this new sermon series where we're going to be studying the life of Moses. And this is mainly going to take us through the Old Testament book of Exodus, though we'll be a little bit into Numbers and Deuteronomy as we get to the end of it. And and on one hand, we're doing this series for a very practical reason. This is how our preaching rotation goes at Hope. So we typically do a gospel, then a topical series, then a New Testament letter, then another topical series, and then an Old Testament book. And so this is where we are in the rotation, to do an Old Testament book. And we've never studied the life of Moses or Exodus in the history of Hope. So for a very practical reason, that's why we're doing this study. But then on the other hand, there's a lot more to it. We're going to study the life of Moses together for the same reason we study the lives of our biological ancestors. We're going to study his story so we can learn more about our own. Because Moses is actually one of the great spiritual ancestors for the people of God. And as Alistair McGrath explains in his book, The Journey, his story, Moses' story, and the story of, of the Exodus is actually our story. Here's what he says In his book, he says, the Exodus tells our story. Each of us has a personal journey to make from our own Egypt to our promised land. We have left something behind in order to make this journey. We have had to break free from our former lives in order to begin afresh. We were in Egypt. We were delivered from bondage. We are in the wilderness on our way to the promised land. The story of the Exodus involves us because It is about us. And so this morning, as we begin this story by looking at this passage I read from Exodus 2, um, what we're going to do is simply 
begin to look at it and, and look at a few different themes that we see here that we're going to see again throughout this whole story and that if we look at our own lives, we can see uh, in our own lives as well. And so let's jump into it. And as we do, what do we see as we begin? As we begin getting into this story? Well, the first thing we see here is a people in desperate need. We see a people in desperate need. And now we're starting in chapter two. Obviously, we didn't read chapter one due to the nature of this study, being on the life of Moses and Exodus being such a long book. We're not going to cover every single chapter and verse, at least not explicitly, but there are some really important things you need to know from the context chapter one gives us. And we'll do this throughout the series. We'll kind of recap and and set up where we are so you know what we're jumping into in these different passages. So what's going on in chapter one? What's the context that's leading us up to this point here in chapter two? Well, the book of Exodus is actually a sequel. It's, it's part two of the book of Genesis, and, and you can't see it in English, but in the original language, the very first word of the book of Exodus is actually and. So it's a continuation from what just happened at the end of Genesis. And, and what's going on there? Well, the last part of the book of Genesis tells the story of Joseph. And Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob, who was hated by his brothers for this reason and, and sold by them into slavery. And they thought they were getting rid of him when they did this, but little did they know he was going to be taken to Egypt and then raised up to become essentially Pharaoh's right-hand man. And then years later, when a terrible famine spread all over the land, Joseph's brothers actually went to Egypt to buy some grain to to try to survive because that was the only nation around that actually had food. And when they get there without them knowing it, Joseph's actually the guy they have to buy it from. And so it sets up this beautiful reconciliation where they come to Joseph, he reveals to them who he is, he forgives them, and then he uses his own power and position to provide for them and to actually give them a place to settle so they can survive and even flourish there. And that's where the Exodus story starts. So if we go back to the beginning of chapter 1, starting in verse 1, here's how it begins. It says, and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And so everything, they're in Egypt and everything was going great for them. They were flourishing. That is until, verse 8, which tells us this, that now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So this new king, this new pharaoh didn't know Joseph. He didn't care about the good history his people had with him. As this foreign people was growing and becoming stronger in his land, all he cared about was the potential threat they posed to him and to the Egyptian people. And so the rest of chapter 1 tells us that first, to try and slow them down, he enslaved them. He made them work really hard under brutal conditions. But that didn't stop them. So then he upped the ante and he told the Hebrew midwives to kill all the sons they delivered. But the Hebrew midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, so that didn't work either. And so finally, he turned it up even more and declared a a full-fledged genocide. And this is the last verse of chapter 1. 
Verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So this is where the people are as this story starts. They're in desperate need. They're literally in the desert. And what makes things worse is that the God who brought them here to Egypt and who promised to bless them and make a great nation out of them seems nowhere to be found. I mean, one of the interesting things about these first couple of chapters is God is hardly mentioned at all. It's almost like, where is he? What is he doing? Like, has he forgotten about them? And while the details may be a lot different, commentator Alec Motier, he, he points out that this dynamic we're seeing here is, is one you and I can actually all relate to. Here's what he says. He says, experience without explanation, adversity without purpose, hostility without protection, that is how life will always appear for the earthly people of God. He says that's how life will always appear. And so I don't know where you're feeling desperation in your life today, where you're specifically experiencing suffering without explanation, where it doesn't make any sense and you wonder what God is doing. But as we're entering into this story, I I hope you can take comfort that you're not alone, that God's people have been here before and actually quite often. I told you this was was relatable. And so first we see a people in desperation. And then second, as we continue in this story, we see a God who's always working, even when it doesn't seem like it. A God who's always working, even when it doesn't seem like it. Because even though his name isn't mentioned directly here, God's fingerprints are all over what's happening here at the beginning of our passage, as Moses is saved from the Nile. Again, as we saw, Pharaoh wanted all the Hebrew baby boys to be thrown into the Nile River. This was his strategy to try to get rid of the Hebrews altogether. And, and Pharaoh was, was like the guy. He, of course, he was the king, but as Pharaoh, he was also seen to be a god of sorts. And so, so what, he, what he said went, at least in theory. But look at what God does through all these perfect coincidences, all these perfect instances here of the right person in the right place at the right time. That's really the story of verses 1 through 10. And so first, as we look at it, we see the right mom. The right mom. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Now a man came from the house of Levi. A man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, and she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. So Moses' mom, who we find out elsewhere, is a woman named Jochebed. She loved him so much that she was willing to risk everything, including probably her own life and, and probably the lives of all of her family to do this. But she did it, and, and then as, as he was growing and she couldn't keep him hidden anymore, she came up with another wise and courageous plan to put him in this basket and to put him in the Nile in hopes that an Egyptian would see him and would have mercy on him. And the fascinating thing here is the word for basket in Hebrew is a word that can also mean ark. And the only other time this is used in the Old Testament is in the story of Noah. 
where God tells him to create an ark to save him and ultimately his people through another water situation. And so, yeah, God's not mentioned here, but it's like you can see his signature. Like, we've been here before. So, you, so first you see the right mom, and then second, you see the right daughters. Look at verse 4. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Having one daughter already and expecting our second in April, I absolutely love this. Because Pharaoh says, kill the sons, right? Throw them in the river. They're, they're the ones we have to worry about. But God's like, don't forget about my daughters, right? Because they're the ones that make this happen. Jochebed's daughter, Moses' sister, she has the shrewdness to run to Pharaoh's daughter once she sees Moses and to ask her if she should call his mother. And of all people, Pharaoh's daughter is the one who sees Moses And unlike her father, she has compassion on him. She has mercy and says, I want him to be my son. And all this together, the right mom, the right daughters, produces the right deliverer. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. And now what this means is in a time when Egypt was trying to get rid of all the Hebrew boys, Moses' mom got paid to save her son. And for Moses' development, commentators think he got to stay with her at least long enough so that he could uh, gather some sense of his own Hebrew culture and identity. And even including the ways of their God. But it also means that when the time came and he went to go live with Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's house, he was also brought up in the ways and culture of Egypt, who was the most advanced, strongest nation in the world at that particular time. And so Moses was the perfect deliverer, right? He was a Hebrew, but he grew up as an Egyptian, so he knew how to speak and and think like they could, so he could interact with them very well. And see, in the moment, no one knew this is what was going on. Right, the people were still in this desperate place. They were still in the desert, but God knew. Right? God was at work, and he, he knew exactly what he was doing, even though it didn't seem like he was doing anything. And I love this, because when you, when you and I take time to look at our own lives and reflect on them, don't we see this kind of thing going on? Don't we all have stories like this? Like I got to tell my story to another pastor in town on Wednesday afternoon this week. And we were just kind of getting to know each other. So at least tell him my story of like how I got to Charlotte, how I got to Hope, how I got to be in ministry. And after talking uh, with him and telling him some of it, at the end, I was kind of wanted to say, really my story is just me like stumbling into one thing after another. That's basically what it is. So just to lay out some of it. So I I was really struggling at the end of high school. I was in a dark place. 
I'd apply, I apply to Wake Forest only because my college counselor went there and told me to, and I kind of liked Chris Paul. It's like he went there. That's cool, right? But then I get in. I decide to go there. But then the summer before I go, I go to Young Life Camp, not really thinking much is going to happen, and, and God meets me in a powerful way and changes my life with the gospel. Then I get to wake that fall, and the first week I meet some guys who invite me to this thing called RUF, a campus ministry, which I have no idea what that is. But I start going, and I go hear the Bible preached every week, and I'm blown away, and my heart starts to come alive. And not to mention, I meet this girl named Sarah Brown, who if I explained um, how I actually uh, tried to introduce myself to her for the first time, is the definition, the very definition of stumbling, if I could explain that for you. Then we come to seminary in Charlotte only because you get a scholarship 50% off just if you were involved with RUF in college. And then my first day of class in seminary, I sit beside a guy and we're like, hey, where do you go to church? And he says, hope. And so like, okay, let's try that. And we came and now we're here. We've been here nine years. Right? I could have told this guy, I got here because of all these great things I've done, all these like great wise decisions I've made. And on, on one hand, like, I guess you could say, yeah, I had a part to play in it. But it, it's really a story about God. Him at work in all these little moments, all these seemingly small interactions and experiences, honestly, usually without me having a clue. And that's true of all the parts of my story. And it will continue to be. And it's true of yours too. Because that's what God does. And I love this quote from Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow, where Jaber Crow, the narrator, says this about his life. He says, often I have not known where I was going until I was already there. I've had my share of desires and goals, but my life has come to me or I've gone to it mainly by way of mistakes and surprises. Often I've received better than I've deserved. Often my fairest hopes have rested on bad mistakes. I am an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley, and yet for a long time looking back, I have been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Make of that what you will. This is what God's doing in Moses' life. And therefore, it's what he's doing in the lives of his people, the people of Israel. He's always working. And so we've seen a people in desperate need. We've seen a God who's always working, even when it doesn't seem like it. And finally, the last thing we see here as we begin this story is the story of a God who never gives up on us, even when we fail and sin. And that's what we see in these last few verses, verses 11 through 15. And so th this is us moving forward in the story about 40 years. That's how old we think Moses is at this time. And we're not told much about what these years were like for him, but it's clear he's done a lot of re wrestling with who he is, being this man who, who's kind of part Hebrew, part Egyptian. And it's clear he's drawn towards his people. He sees their suffering and he wants to help them in some way, but instead of waiting on the Lord and, and seeking him and how to do this, what he does is he takes matters into his own hands. Look at verse 11, tells us that one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, this is before God gives the Ten Commandments. We're going to see that in Exodus chapter 20. But the sixth of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not murder. And so think about this. Moses, 
the perfect deliverer, the one that God, as we just saw, was so intentionally prepared to rescue his people. What does he do? The first public act as an adult in scripture. He murders a guy. Right? And it seems like he, he had some good motives, like he hated the injustice and suffering that his people were facing, but there's no getting around it. There's no excuse you can make for this. This is really bad. And, and the way you and I naturally think about God, or if you were to just sort of generically think about how you would expect a God to operate, you, you, you'd think, okay, well, that's it. You know, that's the end of this guy's story. This book is 40 chapters, so uh, chapter three must be about God beginning to prepare a new deliverer, because this guy's story's over. But of course, if you know the story, that's not what happens. Otherwise, this series on the life of Moses would be just this week. But this God, the God of the Bible, the one true God, he's not done with him. And we see that because this is what verse 15 tells us, that when Pharaoh heard of it, what he did, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and he stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Now, what does that mean? How does that show that God's not giving up on him? Why is that significant? Well, 40 years later, when God actually does lead his people out of Egypt through Moses, do you know where he leads them? He leads them to Midian. The very place Moses had lived for so long, and had known so well. So God used even this, even his failure to prepare Moses for who he was gonna be and what he was gonna do in the future. And that's really good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? Because it tells us there's hope for people like us, people like you and me who also sin who also fail all the time. And it's really good news because it tells us this story is not ultimately about Moses. And this series is, is not gonna be us standing up here saying, all right, let's look at Moses as this great example he is and, and let's, let's try really hard to be like him, at least in the good things that he does. Right, that would be so exhausting if that's what we're doing. That's not what this is about and that's not what this is about and that's not what Christianity is about. Did you know Christianity is primarily not about you and what you're supposed to do, but it's mainly about God and what he's already done for you. And if we bring together all that we've seen about God here at the beginning of this story, we could summarize by saying it's about a God who always comes through for us. It's about a God who always keeps his promises to us. It's about a God who can't be stopped by the circumstances around us or by the sin that's within us. And I hope, I hope that encourages you this morning. As you sit here, wherever you are today, if you're facing desperate circumstances right now, things you don't want to be dealing with, sickness, unwanted singleness, a bad work situation, a broken relationship, a difficult marriage, if you're desperate dealing with some kind of sin in your life and you feel stuck and discouraged, if you've got a, a, a really hard combination of both those things going on. I hope this, is encur this encourages you to see that this is who God is. I mean, that, that's why this was the salvation story of the Old Testament. It's why it's referenced so much throughout the Old Testament scriptures because it is so encouraging. But maybe you're here and you're thinking, Aaron, yeah, this is encouraging. 
But that's the thing. You just said it. This is an old story. I'm glad this is who God was for Moses and these people, but what, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life here in 2023 with my story? Well, before we close out our time today, I, I want to remind all of us that while this was the salvation story of the Old Testament, it's not the salvation story of the whole Bible. And it, it actually only points us to that story. And what is that story? Well, it's also the story of a people in desperate need. But instead of the story, a story of oppression and slavery to the Egyptians, it's the story of people like you and me who are oppressed and enslaved by our sin. And it's also the story of a God who won't stop and who can't stop until he rescues us. It's the story of a God who raises up another baby boy who was born in the midst of an attempted genocide, who is also saved through unlikely circumstances, ironically fleeing to Egypt. But unlike Moses, this deliverer wouldn't try to rescue his people by taking matters into his own hands and murdering someone when no one was looking. But to rescue us, he would trust his father to the point that he was murdered on the cross for us while everybody was looking. See, the story of Moses and the story of the Exodus is the story of Jesus Christ. Yes, this is a real story that happened, but it's an echo of, of, of the big story, of, of the story of the gospel, of the story of the never stopping, never giving up love of God for us. And we look at this story in light of the big story. That's how we can see that all these things we've been talking about today are true. And they're true for us today. It's how you can know today that God hasn't stopped working in your life, even if you can't see it right now. It's how you can know that his fingerprints are all over your life too, even if you can't detect them yet. It's how you can know that he is doing what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 8, 28. He is working out all things together for your good. And it's also how you can know that no matter how much of a failure, failure you feel like, no matter how much you feel like you've let God down or you have disappointed him, he's never going to give up on you. And if you look to Christ, your true rescuer, and you trust him, he literally can't. Right? It, would, it would actually be unjust for him to do that. Why? Because all of our sin and all of our failure has already come on him on the cross. He's already paid for it. And so the story of Moses is the story of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about together this spring. Yeah, we're going to talk about Moses and we're going to learn a lot from him and about him. But this is always where it's going to lead us to our true and better deliverer. To our God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to save us. And by his spirit, uh, our hope is that we'll be changed by it together. And so get ready. I know I'm excited about it. I, I've been telling everybody this week how excited I am about X. I feel like I've, I'm, I'm more excited than I've been in a long time about a sermon series. Maybe I'm just a Bible nerd. I don't know. But I'm excited, and I, I hope you are too. Because this is the story. And it's your story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. And um, we pray that... As we jump into it today, you would, uh, 
make it come alive for us in a fresh way. Uh, I pray that you'd meet us um, where we are this morning, that, that these truths we've talked about, that you would apply them to our lives just as we need them, um, Lord, so that we would fall more deeply in love with you, so that we'd become more and more amazed at who you are and the way you love us, and so ultimately we would trust you um, wherever we are in our story and on our journey, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen.